Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. This is a reading from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18, and you can follow along on the screens behind me. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as it should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychesis will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Aricopus, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. morning. Uh, welcome to worship. It is good to see you. It's good to be back. In case you weren't aware, I've been gone the last couple weeks out of town. Where were you, Pastor Ron? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I was, I tell you that my wife and I were here, and this was our view, uh, looking out from our condo in Hawaii. We went there for a couple weeks because last month, April 3rd, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. Thank you, thank you. And uh, as, uh, as our wedding gift, my mom gave us a honeymoon to Hawaii and had not been back for 40 years. And so we went, had a great, great time. It is good to be with you, but I'm not going to say I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm not there still. That was, uh, it was amazing. It was a great, great time for us just to, to enjoy being a couple. And um, that has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. And I couldn't really figure out a good segue from that to that. So I'm just going to start my sermon now, okay? 
thought you might want to know that. <laughs> uh, we are uh, finishing a series on Colossians today, the fourth and final week. And we have been uh, going through this four-chapter book, one chapter at a time. And as you heard the scripture read today, this is one of Paul's classic endings to his letters where he, flourish, he finishes with a flourish of personal greetings. Now, I have to say that when I was uh, younger in previous years, I, I, I kind of skimmed through these sections and didn't appreciate them as much. Um, I, as time goes on, I have come to really treasure these personal greetings at the end of Paul's letters because I really believe they give us a glimpse into the church. And, you know, he, and the early church, he gives, um, he gives us this glimpse and he names names. And Melanie was asking me, what did I do wrong that I had to read all of those personal names? <laughs> There's a lot of hard-to-pronounce names there. Uh, and, and it's just a, it's a, it's a real beautiful section. And it might strike you as sort of random and, and loosely connected, but I would argue that it's a tightly um, bound argument, not argument, but a, 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 a presentation that Paul makes for us that gives us a picture into the early church and helps demonstrate what he's been talking about in this letter by saying here's how we live it out in, in actuality. And I, I think you could say that uh, the letter of Colossians um, pivots on these verses towards the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Um, now, Paul, of course, did not use chapter designations. That was added uh, centuries later. But he wrote this, um, and it's found in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. He says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Now, in biblical language, a mystery is something that wasn't known but is now revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. No one ever imagined that God would become a man, walk among us, live, die, rise again, and then send his spirit to live inside of us. No one saw that coming. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, now here's a so that statement, which is a purpose statement, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me that you would become mature in Christ. That the Christian journey is a, is a journey from spiritual infancy to spiritual adulthood. And Paul says, I contend earnestly for this. As we're saying this year, there's more for you. Chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. Paul doesn't take this lightly, does he? And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally, he never met the Colossian church. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow, that's some beautiful and inspiring writing. When Paul says, my goal, that makes me perk up because like, oh, wait a minute. He's telling us why he's doing all of this. That, that's important. And what? That we might present everyone fully mature in Christ. That we may know Christ thoroughly and take this journey from infancy spiritually to spiritual maturity. 
Um, and so I believe the whole letter pivots on that. And then in chapter 4, we get to the personal greetings. And I believe that it gives us a picture of what this looks like in practice. Now, I believe, as I, as I stated in the very first week of the series, when you look at that glorious description of Christ, the supremacy of Christ found in Colossians chapter 1, what you have is you have uh, one of the most um, beautifully stated descriptions of the lordship of Jesus in all of Scripture. And then our then, this is who Jesus is now, this is how we live in response. Our call is to submit ourselves to that lordship and to follow him and make him the leader of our life in every area, which applies to everything. Now, we took a unique approach with this, and then we're using this as a stewardship series, knowing that you steward the world's goods and the money of this world. Now, Jesus says a lot about this, and usually in approach, we take the teachings of Jesus, look about money or other many teachings in the New Testament directly about this, but we're saying, let's look at the letter of Colossians and apply it to how we handle the world's goods, how we handle our money, and does it reflect the lordship of Jesus? And every other area of our life. Colossians, I believe, can be laid over that and say, is Christ Lord of this? And so um, here he presents in these closing words um, a picture of what completeness in Christ, because remember he says, this is what I work for, this is my goal, and I strenuously work towards this, that Christ may be complete in you, you may be complete in Christ. So to be complete in Christ, he tells us several things. First, is to be devoted to prayer. Let's go in, let's jump into these verses that were read earlier. Verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, devote is a strong word. Um, the New Testament writers knew nothing of casual prayer. There just wasn't a casual approach to prayer. Paul had an intensity when it came to prayer, and he really believed that it should be something that we don't just do a little bit in the morning or on a Sunday, that, that prayer should be um, uh, part of our lives at every breath. In fact, the very next letter in our New Testament is 1 Thessalonians, also written by Paul. He ends that letter with a similar sentiment. When you look at um, uh, chapter 5, he throws out three commands, uh, real short, that kind of give us another picture. He says in verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He says, pray continually. Now, i got to say, for much of my life, I looked at that, and I thought Paul was using hyperbole. You know, he's just exaggerating this to make a point, because nobody can pray continuously, right? You know, it's like saying, I'm, I'm starving to death. Well, you're not starving to death. You're just hungry, okay? We, we use hyperbole all the time to express things, you know? And I know, oh, Paul, he's just saying pray continuously because he's trying to make the point. No, I really think the guy believed it. I, I really do. I've come to this conclusion that um, there is a life that can be lived where every breath is, is, is prayer. And that's what... I uh, lean towards and want in my own life. And almost inevitably, I could, I could take an hour or two in prayer, and I get to the end, it's like I, I, I'm just start scratching the surface, Lord. And, of course, in my prayer life, I don't know about yours, but I, I have 101 distractions in the middle. But there is this life we're called to that is devotion. Now, almost always, as he does here, and also in 1 Thessalonians, when Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, he then throws in, Thankfulness, being watchful, looking, anticipating for the return of Jesus, and then thankful. 
always this word of thankfulness. We should be marked as a people. And one of the things that should mark us as followers of Jesus is the spirit of thanksgiving. He says in 1 Thessalonians, uh, and be thankful for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's so easy to not be thankful. And, and, I, I just, and I've said this kind of thing to you in the past. This is one of the struggles I have in life is that I have, I have uh, an ability and a gift to uh, detect and to see something that's not working. I can walk into any organization. I can walk into any setting. And in just a little matter of time, I can detect the thing that's wrong. And I can pick out the thing that isn't working really well. And that can be a gift. It can also be a curse. Because I see everything that's wrong all the time. And I can dwell in that place where I'm always focusing on the negative. So we're on this trip to Hawaii, and it's gorgeous. It's paradise, right? And I mean, we're seeing all of this stuff. And I had something lodged in my mind, some kind of complaint. And I'm like, it's Groundhog Day. I just keep going over it and over it and over it. And finally, I had to speak to myself. And I said, self, self, would you stop it? Stop it. Be thankful. I think thankfulness is one of the greatest tools you have in your spiritual tool chest. So because this is my personality type, Maybe this isn't you, but you know what I find I do? I will go on prayer walks, and then I'll say, on this prayer walk, I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going to intercede for anything. I'm going to pray, and the whole thing is going to be, thank you, God. And I'm just going to start thanking. I'm going to start listing things that I'm thankful for. I'm going to start, and the whole prayer. And my mind wants to focus on the things wrong. You know, and no, I'm not going to pray for that. I'm going to be thankful. And it, it is transforming. So Paul says, be thankful. So to be complete in Christ is to be devoted to prayer with thanksgiving. Also, to be complete in Christ is to always be on mission. Always on mission. Paul continues the thought about prayer in verse 3. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should and he's just stating a very simple there, uh, notion about prayer is that, that the work of the kingdom does not go forward without prayer. It just doesn't happen. You can put a lot of human activity into it, a lot of effort, but unless it is undergirded by prayer and empowered by prayer, it's not. So he says, would you pray for me uh, that I can use these opportunities and, uh, and that we can proclaim it? Um, and then he says this, such a good word, verse 5. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And there he's referring to unbelieving people, non-Christians. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So just be wise. You have opportunities. Every day, you encounter outsiders. You encounter people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, you have never met an ordinary human being. Every human being you've met is an eternal being who will live forever, either in eternal bliss in the presence of God or eternal torment. You have never met an ordinary person. So you see, when we rub shoulders with, maybe it's at work, Maybe it's in our families. People who are outsiders, we have an opportunity 
Now, it's not that you're going to take the Bible and, and, and preach a word to them. You may, but you probably won't. You, you have an opportunity to be a light for Jesus. And he shows us how in a moment. So that you're, you're planting seeds. You have an opportunity to, to really influence somebody for the good, for the kingdom, for eternity. You're always on mission. You're never, a, a person complete and mature in Christ understands they're never off the clock. Never. You are what we call everyday missionaries. I was in Hawaii, went and visited the uh, largest youth with a mission, YWAM camp in the world at Kona, and um, 900 folks there are preparing to go overseas, and their lives inspire me. And I love to see people give it all. Met with a couple who are going to go to Scotland, and they're going to give their all to Jesus, and they're going to serve there. Met another young man who's going to go in uh, South Africa and live maybe the rest of his life. You may not do that. That's not God's calling on everybody, but you are a missionary where you're at. God has placed you as a missionary in your family. I don't know about you, but my family has a lot of non-Christians in it, a lot of outsiders. He's placed you in a workplace, maybe a school, a neighborhood, uh, maybe a, a civic organization, a club, and you are a missionary there. And a mature person, spiritually, is aware, I'm here as a as an ambassador for Jesus, so I need to show up well. Now, here's the deal. You may not think about that, but your unbelieving friends, they do, and they're watching. Because once you put the stake in the ground and you say, I am a follower of Jesus, people are watching. And some are watching with critical eyes. Why? Because they want evidence. They want, they want proof that Christians are no different than anybody else, that this Christian life doesn't really result in transformation. And uh, they are looking for evidence so that they can continue to be outsiders and continue to be unbelieving. And what are they looking for? Well, you know, the great thing they're looking for, right? Why people, I bet you can fill in this blank. People, the big reason they give for not being involved in a church, they say, I don't want to go to church. The church is full of, yeah. Yeah, you know. And so they're looking for evidence. Because if they can find evidence that you're, that, that, that Christians are really no significant, there's, there's no significant difference in their lives and the lives of, they're thinking, well, why, why bother? It doesn't really make a difference. And so Paul says, it, it involves your language. He says, verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Um, and, and so you have an opportunity. And I think sometimes it, ha it can play directly off of what he just said about being thankful. You know, there's something winsome and beautiful about thankfulness. You have a platform in this world. You have connections, a sphere of influence. Maybe, for some of you, your biggest platform in this world is your social media presence, right? So what if you were to take these words from Scripture let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, and lay that right next to your social media posts. How, how's that work? How's it going? Huh? Here, here's what it looks like for some Christians. Some Christians, they get on social media, and they go on a rant. And they're complaining, and they're criticizing this group. And then they're going on a rant about this. And then they're on a political rant. And then they're on a social issues rant, the social issue of the day. You just fill in the blank. And they're making their, and they, and they kind of got an edge to them, sort of an anger to them. And, and uh, you know, they throw out some jabs along the way. And they get to Easter and they make a post. He is risen. Yeah. 
What do the outsiders think? They're no different. No different. What if our words and our interactions we saw as opportunities? Opportunities. And, and the way to make the most of that, see, here's the deal. Unbelieving friends kind of expect us to act like Jesus. So that's not fair. Well, that's what they expect. And so let your words be seasoned with grace. And he says, uh, see, uh, full of grace and seasoned with salt. What does salt do when you eat salt? What does it make you? It makes you thirsty, right? Our words, our lives, are the, 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 the posture we bring to the world should be so attractive that it makes people thirsty for, for God. That's what Paul says here. Should make them thirst and hunger. And they say, wow, I don't get it all. I don't understand it. But there's something different in that person's life. I, I want to learn more. You see, the mature Christian is always on mission. Always. Um, to be complete in Christ, be devoted to prayer, always on mission. And then... To be complete in Christ is to do it all, your Christian life, in community. To do it with others. And that's where we get to this uh, last section where Paul throws out a number of personal uh, uh, comments and um, uh, greetings. And gives updates about some folks. And, I, and again, I have come to treasure these, uh, these uh, comments that Paul makes at the end of his letter. Another significant one is found at the end of Romans and so in the first paragraph, he mentions Tychicus. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He goes on to tell us about Onesimus. We know from one of his other letters, Philemon, Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul befriended Onesimus, led him to faith in Jesus, and Onesimus became a faithful worker for Paul. Go read Philemon. Fascinating background story to that. He says, he... Is a dear brother. Now, I love that about Paul. That he, right out of the back, out of the shoot, tells us about two members of his um, group. It's like his band of brothers. There's Tychicus and there's Onesimus. And um, he calls them dear brothers. How different that is um, from most of our experience. You have heard, and it's been said, there's been a lot said in the past decades about the, quote, friendless American male. And there's been a lot said about that because it's a real thing. The sad reality, and I've seen it more times than not, is that for many men, they have not had a significant friend, another guy, in their life since high school or college. That's so tragic. It's so tragic. And I've been there. And I know that. I know, I know the loneliness of it, of just having surface-level relationships. And I also know the, the, the beauty and the richness of it when you do. And right now, if you were to ask me, Ron, what are your blessings? Well, I've got a lot. But I think one of the things I would tell you is that I've got some of the deepest friendships, the richest relationships in my life that I've ever had. And I've got brothers here and around the country that if I was in distress, I could call them. I know they would be there for me in a, in a heartbeat. And it makes my life so rich right now. 
and guys especially, say to you, man, I want this for you. There's more for you. Um, and God shows us a better way in the life of Paul here. So he talks about these friends. And then, then it even gets richer. In beginning with verse 10, going all the way through verse 15, a pretty long paragraph. I'll just summarize it for you. Paul names some other names. He names Aristarchus. And uh, he, na- he mentions a guy named Epaphras as well as the physician Luke and Mark um, and uh, a couple others. But Aristarchus, he calls a fellow prisoner. Now, oh, by the way, did you notice when Paul was talking about uh, prayer and, and he says, pray for us for which I'm in chains. Paul does not let us know until chapter 4 that he wrote this letter from prison. Now, how about you? If I was writing a letter to a, a group of people that I'd not met before, I think in the opening lines I'd say, "And uh, uh, would you all pray for me? I'm in jail right now. Paul waits till the end of this letter. Now, again, um, he's not above telling people about his needs. In fact, there's this tender way he, he ends his letter by saying, and remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul was a real man with real feelings and real emotions, and he said, remember my chains. But he doesn't lead with that. And I love that. When I grow up, I want to I want to be the kind of person that doesn't talk about myself and my needs first. I want to talk about Jesus first. And that's what Paul does. Well, anyway, he calls Aristarchus his fellow prisoner. He wasn't really. I need to know something about Roman prisons. Just read a fascinating article about this um, not long ago. And um, it was about the, the, the reality of life in a Roman prison. It was awful. It was a god-awful place. Terrible place to be. You see, in America, we have this value that I think emanates from the Christian faith of, 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 against cruel and unusual punishment. The Romans didn't have such a value. Roman prisons were terrible places to be. You'd often be chained to a wall. There was no facilities. The place stunk to high heaven. There was no cafeteria. They didn't serve the prisoners' food. Well, what happened? Well, they would starve to death unless somebody brought them food. And so if you were in prison, that meant that your loved ones, friends, would have to come and bring you food to eat every day, or you would go without. If it was cold, and, I mean, the temperatures were really, really cold, you, someone would have to bring you a blanket. The guard certainly is not going to provide that. You need clothes. Or someone else is going to have to do that for you. And that was Aristarchus. Aristarchus would go and sit with Paul. And when Paul was cold, he'd bring him a blanket. And he brought him food and Epaphras every day. Here's another little thing about Roman prisons and the Roman system of justice. They were not above guilt by association. If you as a Christian were visiting another Christian, and by the way, the only reason Paul was in jail was because he preached the gospel of Christ and Christianity was an illegal religion, so therefore he was thrown in prison. If you as a Christian showed up to visit another Christian, they would say, ah, here's another one of them. Let's grab him and put him in prison. So to do prison ministry in Paul's day was to put your life on the line. Here's Aristarchus and Epaphras going at much personal peril daily to provide for Paul. Who wouldn't sign up for friends like that? 
I love it. Dear brothers, blood brothers. And um, God wants that for you. And you know the best way to get friends like that is be a friend. Be there for somebody when they're in their own kind of prison and walk through it with them and maybe the time that you'll need it, they'll be there for you. And that's what Aristarchus and uh, Epaphras was. And, and there's this little uh, kind of comment about Epaphras. He says, one of you, he must have been from Colossae, servant of Christ Jesus, sends us greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. There's that word again, mature. Epaphras wrestles in prayer. Have you ever had someone wrestle in prayer for you? I hope so. My mom did that for me, I know. And I, I wouldn't be here today without her prayers. And some of you probably wouldn't be here today unless there was somebody in your life who wrestled in prayer. Like I said, there's no, the New Testament doesn't know anything about casual prayer. Wrestled in prayer. Such a vivid image. And then, um, then he sends out a greeting to uh, Nympha. She was um, the leader of this house church. Um, the way it worked in the first few centuries of Christianity, it was illegal to practice Christianity, so you couldn't have buildings. That would kind of put target on you. So you would meet in homes, and they would typically meet in the home of a wealthier member who would often have a larger home. More people could meet in there, and they would have these house churches. And uh, Nympha apparently was the leader of this particular church. So how it would work when Paul would write a letter to a church is that the letter would come. Now, you remember, Paul had never visited Colossae. They, didn't, they had not heard of, they had not seen him, but his reputation went ahead of him. Paul was um, a legend in the Christian community. He was highly respected. And so they're getting a letter from Paul. Are you kidding me? He wrote it to our church. And so the letter would be delivered. And the house church leader, maybe Nympha, would get up and read the letter. And so she's reading the letter. She's going through. And they're hearing it for the first time. They're, they're leaning forward on their seats because this is from the apostle Paul. Are you kidding me? Who met Jesus? Who got knocked from his horse on the road to Damascus? This Paul. And they're leaning in and they're listening. So it gets to the end of the letter and there's personal greetings. And I'm sure it brings a smile to their face as they remember some of the names. And here's a guy by the name of Archippus. He's sitting in there, kind of like you today. And you're sitting in there and he's, he's listening to this letter. And the second to last verse, Paul says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. How's that for being called out? <laughs> in church, in front of everybody. Paul says, tell Archippus to get back to it. We don't know what happened, but probably Archippus had a calling from God, a ministry. Ministry here literally means serving. At the very root, ministry means waiting tables. We don't know if it was something lowly like that or some grand ministry he was called to. doesn't matter. He, he was called to something. He got distracted, got knocked off course, and Paul is saying, okay, Archippus, time to get back to it. Come on now. Finish what you started. How's that for a little apostolic conf, uh, accountability? Now, why did he do that? I mean, like, I wouldn't call one of you out here publicly. No. Why would Paul do that? Because the early church really believed in this concept called accountability. That the members of the church were accountable to the leaders of the church, and the leaders of the church were accountable to other leaders in the church, and all of us were ultimately accountable to God. And they, 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 they weren't above uh, calling people out. Now, mind you, there was a great deal of encouragement and support and comfort 
talk about, Arch- talk about uh, uh, Epaphras and, and uh, uh, Aristarchus and how they supported Paul. But when, when you needed a little push, they'd be willing to give that to you. You see, most Americans don't like accountability. In fact, uh, the research shows that about 80% of Americans don't want to be accountable. We don't like it. And I get it, sometimes it's toxic and sometimes we've had bad experiences with that, but nevertheless, the principle holds true. People who are mature spiritually are willing to be accountable. Willing to, to be accountable to others. The early Methodists used to call it watching over one another in love. It's grace-based, but it's accountability. A leader of a ministry, a leader of a, a small group, a leader of a committee should be held accountable for their leadership. And that's all part of Christian community. That's all part of this letter. And then he, then he wraps it all up. Um, so to be mature is to, is to live in community. Being a dear brother or sister to others and experiencing what it's like to have that on the receiving end. So when you consider chapter four, where do you need to grow towards maturity? Again, the Christian life is this journey from spiritual infancy to spiritual adulthood, spiritual um, maturity. Is it in prayer? Maybe it's in thankfulness. Maybe it's in your mission in the world and being more cognizant of the fact that, that you are being watched. Maybe it's in community, taking a step. Say the best way to have Dear brothers is to be a dear brother or sister to others. Maybe that's what you need to do. What we've said in this series is what if we take Colossians and overlay it in terms of our uh, journey in generosity. I could look at many verses, words of Jesus where he hits the subject directly. But, what, what, but how does this speak? Where, do you, where are you at and what step might you take? Could this be part of the step that you take as a follower of Christ and as you grow as a disciple of Jesus? And so uh, you got a card when you came in. I've got mine here. If you just look at that uh, card for a second, um, here's the generosity journey, all right? Um, and uh, there's five different places here mentioned in this journey where maybe you are or not, okay? Imagine you're somewhere on this board, all right? Um, what step might you take as a, as a growing disciple of Jesus when it comes to managing the world's goods and the money that God has given you? Uh, maybe you currently don't give. The, the, the research has been pretty steady down through the uh, decades as I've been in ministry. About a third of uh, church people don't give. Uh, maybe then you could become a first-time giver and discover what Jesus said, that it really is more blessed to give than receive. Um, maybe you're there, but you need to be more consistent about it. You become a regular giver. That could be a step, all right, where you've given a couple times, but now I need to really get serious about this, so maybe it becomes a, a, an every week thing or an every month, a monthly thing or bi-monthly, all right? Um, but, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start giving regularly. That could be a step for somebody. Maybe that's you, uh, but you, you know you need to up it to the next level, and that's being an intentional giver. The Bible talks about proportionate giving, percentage giving. The tithe is 10%. I know that scares some folks. But what if you say, no, I want to be more intentional about the, the things God has blessed me with so that I might give and be generous because God is a generous giver? Uh, what, what if I were to become more intentional about it and, and name a percentage? Maybe that's the step you could take. I, I've, over the years in my ministry, I've encouraged folks, maybe tithing scares you to death right now. What if you start at 3% or 4 or 5 and then d- d- be determined to, to grow each and every year? Maybe you're there and you've been there for a while. Linda and I 
uh, tithe. I, the first week of this series, I told you that the very fir- my first experience of the lordship of Jesus was taking my meager income from lawn mowing jobs and tithing that. My mom taught me that when I was a teenager. That was my first experience of submitting something to the lordship of Jesus. And then I, we tithed throughout our marriage, and then we started LaCroix and needed to build buildings. Like, oh, well, we've got to, we've got to see greater levels of generosity if we're going to see this vision come true. And so we started giving beyond the tithe. Um, and maybe you've been blessed and God is calling you not only to give to your local church, but to other kinds of um, uh, work in the kingdom of God. And to do so in an expanded sort of way. And then there's the legacy giver. The legacy giver sees all of life as a gift and blessing. And they say, uh, God has blessed me. And, and I want to give in such a way that it outlives me. But not only that, I want to I give a su- significant proportion of my income away. I talked to a guy recently. He's about my age. And he said he and his wife a number of years ago said, we put this big goal out there. And we said, over the course of our life, we want to give this much away. And it was big. And he said, recently, we just achieved that. And they're still working, and they're thinking, okay, well, what's the next thing? And so they've set this other big goal because they, they want their lives to be marked by generosity and giving and to, and to give glory to God and to let that speak to their children and their grandchildren. So here, here's the deal. I don't know where you're at, but I would encourage you to take one step in the generosity journey. And here's what I ask you to do. Pray about that. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it and where you could be. There's no dollars associated with this. These are d- d- steps of decision. And um, if you're so inclined, write your, your, take the back, this blank, write your name on that, your email, and then circle. Like, I want to do this. I want to be at level three. Circle it, and then just put it in an offering basket. You can do this electronically online. Maybe you need to do it next week because you've got to think about it. That's fine. But I, I would encourage you to take your next step, and maybe this year your next step, the big step, is, is somewhere in generosity. Your big next step could be about prayer. We heard about that today. Again, maybe your next big step could be with being thankful and building that in as a discipline in your life or your mission, being an everyday missionary or being in community. But there's more for you. There's more for you as a disciple of Jesus. As you lean in to a life fully given to God, you're going to experience that more for you, that life as a disciple of Jesus, so that you may know the mystery of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that you would experience all of the blessings and goodness of God as you walk with him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, these personal words that Paul leaves for us, these words that are inspiring us 2,000 years later. We know that they're more than Paul's words. They're your words. This was inspired by your spirit and left to us as a witness, as a testimony pointing to you. And so, Jesus, I thank you for um, the apostle Paul. I thank you for the men in his life like Epaphras and Onesimus and Aristarchus and those who wrestled in prayer, those who worked with him. And Lord, I know that this is your pattern for the church even today. And so I pray for our church family that we would be a people growing in our devotion to prayer, that we would be a thankful people, that we would be aware that we're always on mission, 
and that we would take and make use, be wise and make use of every opportunity in front of us this week when we intersect with outsiders that we can positively influence them for you. Make us a light, a glorious light to the community. And um, speaking of that community, help us to lean in. I thank you for dear brothers. I thank you for those who've wrestled in prayer. We are so blessed. We've got just a moment. I'd like to give you a moment right now to pray and to do nothing but thank God. And, and you could do this, I know, for the, for the rest of the day. And if you feel so inclined, please, please do. But would you just take the next 60 seconds or so and just do what the scripture says. Be thankful. List some things you're thankful for. Tell that to God. There's so much more we can name. So much more we could say. You have been so, as the song says, so good to us. Your goodness and mercy are running after us. Oh God, may we see it. Oh God, may we be thankful. May we be a light in a world that can be known for complaints and negativity. May we be a different people, a peculiar people who are marked by our thankfulness. This we pray in the name of the supreme Lord and Savior, Lord of the universe image of the invisible God in whom all things hold together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out and we hope to see you soon.